0: Let's then turn now to the text for our sermon this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, the first two verses. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's far God's word. After the preaching, we'll sing together from hymn 43, the words of our text set to music, all six stanzas. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, one of the things that's missing about modern church buildings like the ones we're used to worshiping in is the church graveyard. It used to be that parish churches were always surrounded by the cemetery, those who had died from the communion of saints were buried in the plots of ground surrounding the church. And even in the old cathedrals in Europe, you can see the gravestones on the very floors of the sanctuaries where the people worshipped. It's something of the past, but in some ways it's a shame because that picture of the church in the middle of the graveyard is a powerful image. And the world outside us wants to shut out pictures of death and dying because it reminds them of their mortality, of the inevitability of death. And so they're far from interested in spending one day every week surrounded by reminders of death and mortality. But for the Christian, the church graveyard, the church in the middle of the cemetery sends a much different picture. Yes, it's still a reminder of the finality of death, the the separation between the living and the dying and the dead. It's still a picture of the enemy of death, but at the same time, there's hope. It's a picture of the communion of saints that's not bound by space and time, a fellowship that's not able to be broken even by the last enemy, by death. And so the church in the middle of the graveyard is a picture of an eternal fellowship because the ones who lie there in the grave are not dead, but they're alive. These witnesses... Surround us like a cloud, in the same way that cemetery surrounds the church. That's the reality that the author of Hebrews draws on this morning, to encourage us, to encourage the readers, to encourage us today to persist in this life. He draws a striking picture. He compares our life with God, the life of faith, as a race. We're enlisted in an athletics competition, specifically a foot race, And as we run this race, we're surrounded by the people who have run the race before us. There's this cloud of witnesses that surrounds us. And they testify to the fact that the race is worth running. That the race can be run. That there is a prize to be won. They serve as examples. They serve to encourage us. But more importantly, they serve to fix our attention on the object of their faith on Jesus Christ himself. As we run the race of faith, it's on Jesus that we fix our eyes. Our faith is fixed on him. That's the gospel message of our text this morning. And that's the encouragement for you today. Run the race of faith by fixing your eyes on Jesus. we will see the spectators to this race, the struggle in this race, and the strategy for this race. So run the race of faith by fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. First, then, the spectators to this race. So you're to imagine an athletics competition, a foot race. In the ancient world, just like today, sports was a big deal. And the foot race was unlike any other. It was the headline event of the Olympic Games. And so the author is drawing on this familiar reality to illustrate something to the people. The racers would take their marks in a stadium, Surrounded by these spectators who are sitting on the bleachers, who are there to cheer them on. This is what we're to imagine the life of faith to be like. The author of Hebrews has just finished this famous chapter that we read a part of together. This so-called faith hall of fame. And it's these men and women, Moses, Abraham, Noah, Rahab, that form this cloud of witnesses that surround us. Along with all those who have gone on before us, They're surrounding us as spectators to our own race of faith. But they're much more than that, too. They're spectators not just in the sense of those who are watching, wondering what will happen. They're there as witnesses, too. Witnesses not in the sense of just being at a sporting event, but in the sense of a court case. That is, they're testifying to something. So what are they testifying to? What are they witnesses of? The reality of the promises of God. They witness the reality of the promises of God and the power of faith in hanging on to, grasping, and holding these promises that God has given. Faith we can read at the beginning of chapter 11 is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. This faith looks to the future with confidence and with trust And the saints who have gone on before us are witnesses to this reality, to the power of faith. These saints serve as examples of those who look to the future, the future reality, regardless of present circumstances. And so they're there to encourage us as well. Just think of Noah. He was warned that there was a flood coming and he built an ark. Even though the land around him was dry and dusty, and you could say there was no rain in the forecast, Noah spent years building a boat. His faith held on to the promises of God, even the promise of judgment, and he was rewarded when he was saved from the waters of the flood. Or what about Abraham? Living in the imperial capital of Ur, life was good. But he was called to go to a land he didn't know, called to forsake his fatherland, go with his family, to live in tents for a period of time. He was promised the land, but he never received it himself. He was promised children, even though Sarah was barren. He held on to these promises. His faith allowed him to fix his eyes on the goal of his faith. He was looking to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Moses' parents, by faith, hid this special child because they trusted that he had a special future as well. And Moses, even though he had life in the palace, the wealthiest place you could imagine, life with the Pharaoh, and untold wealth for the future, all the luxuries you could imagine, forsook it all to associate himself with the people of God to listen to God's call that something special was in store for him. By faith, he ignored what was visible, earthly treasures, earthly wealth, and fixed his eyes on what was invisible. He saw, we read together, he saw the one who is invisible. This was faith. This was their faith, a firm confidence, a sure knowledge of the promises of God. Men and women shut the mouths of hungry lions. They quenched the fury of the flames. They escaped the sword. They also faced torture, flogging, imprisonment, and death. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They were stoned. We could truly say with the author of Hebrews, the world wasn't worthy of them. All of these saints were living by faith, And not by sight. They refused to let present difficulties, present circumstances distract them from the reality of what God was preparing for them. That what He had in store for them was much better and far more glorious than the reality they saw around them here on earth, even though the fulfillment was in the distant future. They held on to the reality of His promises, even though none of them received what had been promised. These saints surround us as witnesses. To the power of faith. But more than that, they surround us as witnesses to the reality of God's promises and His faithfulness in fulfilling them. Because we know, we stand here today recognizing that the promises that were given to Noah and Abraham and Moses did come true. In the fullness of time, they did receive what they could not see, what was invisible to Moses, the invisible one Himself became visible when the child of the promise was born. In Jesus Christ, the saints of the Old Testament gained entrance into a reality that was far above and beyond anything that they could imagine. Anything that momentary glory and honor on earth could could give them. Their faith was rewarded with sight when the Son of God himself came into human history, offered himself up for their and our place. Now, as we run the race of faith, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses. Even as we worship here together, we're surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, and they stand as shining examples of the power of faith in facing the most unimaginable earthly circumstances. But more than that, they direct our attention away from themselves to the object of their faith, to God himself, the God of the promise. Now what God himself has in store for us as well is something beyond our own imaginations. It's a glory and honor beyond our wildest dreams. He's busy here, gathering in his people, filling up the number of the elect, building the church, until all the saints, all that cloud is complete and the communion of saints is full and experiencing full communion. We too are looking forward to that city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Do you find this hard to imagine? Hard to hold on to? Or do you at times doubt the promises of God, that he has a future for you, that you have this glorious hope as well? Consider the cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Be encouraged. Take a walk In the Faith Hall of Fame, and see that God is true to his promises, that those who fix their eyes on him in faith are not disappointed. As we run this race of faith, we can look around us, we can read in the Old Testament the life of these saints, look at this crowd of spectators that has run the race before us, and see that the race is worth running. What has been promised at the finish line is a reality. And we will receive the strength and the endurance to run. We will join this cloud of witnesses so long as we run in faith. But then we need to keep running. We see in the second place that it's not going to be easy. This race is a struggle. The witnesses who surround us also testify to this reality. We read that together. Torture, mockery, flogging, chains, imprisonment. Stoning, being sawn in two, going around in sheepskins and goatskins, wandering in deserts, living in caves and holes in the ground. The race is going to be a struggle. And we're called as we run this race, the author writes, to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. We're called to have single minded focus. Now, in the ancient athletics competition, the runners would come into the stadium wearing these long, flowing, brightly colored robes. But when they took their marks to begin the race, they would shed these robes and they would run with virtually nothing on. They had to be as aerodynamic as possible so that they could run as quickly as possible. That's what we're to imagine here. We're to strip aside anything that is going to slow us down in the race. Anything that's going to distract us from our race of faith needs to be dropped so that we can run with single-minded focus. That means stripping ourselves of certain things that are obstacles for us. And we might each have different burdens to bear, burdens to lay down, different weights to shed. What's a burden for one runner might not be a burden for the other. But each one of us needs to learn what it is that is holding us back from running this race with perseverance, with single-minded focus. For many of us in the Western world, perhaps it's materialism. There's nothing wrong with financial success in and of itself. In fact, it's, of course, a blessing from God. But when we become obsessed with what we own, when we become obsessed with what we need or what we desire, then we lose focus on the race of faith. And we just shed this distraction and run again with refocused energy and strength. For others, perhaps, it's a hobby that distracts. There's nothing wrong with the hobby in and of itself, but when we become wrapped up in it, when we fail to use it to God's glory, when we fail to use it to deepen our relationship with God, then it can become a distraction that slows us down, that sidelines us from the race. There's much that tries to distract us in this race of faith, There's a lot of competition for our attention. Is television or social media or lack of sleep preventing you from focusing on the race? Then get rid of distractions. Get rid of distractions and take up spiritual disciplines again. Those simple formula that God has given for us to use to strengthen our faith. The one the kids I'm sure are familiar with from that song. Read your Bible. Pray every day. It's that simple. And use the means that God has given. Work with the preaching of the word. Work with the communion at the Lord's table, with the sacrament of baptism, that water sprinkled on your own foreheads. These are the things that are, that are going to give you the lean muscles of a marathon runner, the simple spiritual disciplines that God has given us. But perhaps some of you are more hampered by emotions Despair, fear, anxiety, worry. The author of Hebrews may be thinking of this in particular. He was writing to Jewish Christians in a fledgling church community in an empire that was hostile to Christianity. They weren't necessarily persecuted physically at all times, but for them it was a difficult life. They faced social and economic pressures. And they might be tempted at times to say, What's the use? If God's the one in complete control and if Jesus Christ is my Savior, then why in the world is life so difficult? That can overwhelm us too, those kind of feelings and emotions. Because the race of faith isn't a walk in the park. And sometimes it appears that those who have dropped out of the race or those who simply haven't enlisted in the race to begin with have it so much easier than we do then we're called to put these emotions and feelings behind us. We're called to be encouraged again by this cloud of witnesses who testify again to the reality of the promises and the power of faith in holding on to them. We're called to throw aside our burdens and run again with perseverance. But it's not just human weakness that distracts us and slows us down. It's also sin, we read, that entangles us and snares us. In the race of faith, it's as though at the beginning of the race we've forgotten to get rid of this robe and it's wrapping around our ankles, causing us to stumble, causing us to wander from the path. We get sidelined when we allow sin to stand between us and the finish line. To focus on the prize, on the race, we can allow nothing to stand between us and the prize to which we're called. That means fighting against sin. That means not giving in to sinful addictions, sinful lusts. That means confessing sin when we've committed it. That means seeking forgiveness from God. That means seeking reconciliation in our relationships with each other. Because when we're wrapped up in sin and we haven't laid down the burdens of guilt, then we can't run freely and unimpeded. We have to throw off everything that hinders us. Everything that tries to slow us down That tangles up our feet because only then can we run with single-minded focus and with perseverance. It isn't an easy race. There are steep mountains and there are deep, dark valleys. There is extreme heat and there's severe cold. But the race has been marked out for us and God calls us to run this race, the race that he has set before us, There's no easy way out, there are no shortcuts, and it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. God calls us to run this race surrounded by this cloud of witnesses who testify that the race can be run in faith, and that the prize is worth the effort. But but how are we going to accomplish this? That's the question, isn't it? Perhaps you're listening Thinking to yourself, I just need to try harder. I just need to get rid of distractions, focus better, get rid of obstacles and weights, and just keep running. Well, I can't. I'm tired. And I can't do it on my own. Now, if we were to stop here, you would have good cause to despair of ever finishing the race or ever being able to run unimpeded. It would be like someone who comes alongside a faltering marathon runner and says, you need to drink more water, but doesn't offer him any. But our God isn't like that. Mercifully, God doesn't just call us to run the race, but he also presents us with a strategy to run the race successfully. And it's a simple one. It's our final point. It's a simple strategy. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Imagine again you're running the race. You're focused on the track in front of you. You're focused on the hurdles and the obstacles that are in your way. But if you lift your eyes off the track and you look ahead of you, you're not running alone. Jesus Christ is running before you. You're only going to make it through the race if you lift your eyes off the track, if you stop focusing on those hurdles and those obstacles that lay in front of you and see Jesus Christ running the race before you. It was Jesus Christ who was the one that the Old Testament saints fixed their eyes on. This cloud of witnesses didn't run in the strength of their own conviction, didn't run in the strength of their own faith, Though they didn't know him, though he had not yet appeared, it was Jesus Christ who was the object of their faith because they had faith in the reality of the promises of God. Now this Jesus Christ is the object of our faith too. The author calls him the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author of our faith. That is, he's the pioneer, the trailblazer, He's the one who has gone on before us, has run the race before us and for us. He's obtained the victory already. He kept his eyes fixed on the joy that was before him, we read. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. What did he have before him as he ran the race? The salvation of your soul. Each one of you, the joy of knowing that a successful run would win the prize, the salvation of your souls. That was what Jesus Christ fixed his eyes on as he went through this life for you and for me. He endured suffering. He endured sorrow. He endured pain that we can't even imagine. He endured forsakenness by man by those who were closest to him. He endured forsakenness by God himself and he made it through by fixing his eyes on the joy of the salvation of your souls. He was even crucified, the most shameful death you can imagine and one of the most brutal too. And he despised the shame that it brought on him because he had in mind the salvation of your soul. And so that symbol of shame, of punishment, became a symbol of victory. It became entrance for him to a seat of honor and glory at God's right hand, where he sits today. And so he blazed the trail. The race has been run. The race has been marked out because Christ ran it before you and for you. But he does more than that, even. He's more than just the pathfinder. He's also the author of our faith in the sense of being the source of our faith. He's the one who enables us to run the race with endurance and with perseverance. From his seat of power, from heaven, he looks down on us in love and he strengthened us, strengthens us by his spirit. Our faith is not our own. It's not something that we can conjure up in our own hearts. It's something that Christ does for us by his spirit. He looks down on us in love, seeing us struggle in our own race, each of us individually. And He provides us what we need. He strengthens our weak knees, He straightens our crooked backs. We don't need to look into ourselves to find the strength we need to fix our eyes on Him. Grace upon grace, He does it all. He's also the finisher of our faith the perfecter of our faith. And so we also don't need to look deeply into ourselves to find the strength to persevere, to stumble across the finish line. If he begins something in us, he also carries it out to completion. That faith that he's begun in us, he will also strengthen so that we do cross the finish line. He will give us the strength to face the hurdles if we fix our eyes on him. He will help us throw off every weight that holds us back. He's begun his work in us and he will carry it out to completion. He will see us cross the finish line. So fix your eyes on Jesus. He ran the race before you. He was forsaken by God, forsaken by man, forsaken by the very people he came to save. He was crucified at their hands. But this moment of suffering and pain, of God-forsakenness and of man-forsakenness sealed the victory for you and me. And so when you're running out of breath or when you have a cramp or when the obstacles in your path, and the hurdles that are before you, and the weight on your shoulders simply seem too much to bear, fix your eyes on Jesus. When you get tired of facing difficulties in this life, when you lose heart and despair of ever finishing the race, fix your eyes on Jesus. He ran the race for you. He experienced suffering and struggles of this life for you. He has won the victory already for you. Now you just need to fix your eyes on him in faith. And he will bring you across the finish line. And he'll give you the crown of glory. Amen.